Some things are worth repeating just because we forget. We live in a world that is full of information and sometimes truths need to repeat it. As a parent, you continue to tell your children things and they ask you, why do I need to do this? And you explain to them why it's good. And so there are these truths from God's word that are worthy of repeating. And maybe you're here today and you'll hear a truth from God's word that that you heard six months ago, a year ago, but yet today it reminds you that this is truth. Words sink over time. They disappear. And we have an enemy who constantly feeds us and reminds us. Satan just doesn't come to us one time and tell us that we're worthless. He doesn't just come to us and tell us one time that we don't have what it takes. He doesn't just come and leave and never come back. He continues to come back. He continues to come back to try to remind you of a lie. He continues to do that because he knows that words sink over time. And so today, we need to be reminded. Paul's writing this letter, and he hits the pause button. In the midst of this letter, the spirit who is writing with him allows him to pause and says, wait a minute, you already said this, but I want you to stop and remind them again. Tell them again, because this will be a safeguard for them. And so we jump to this letter. He's told us all these good truths. And all of a sudden, in the middle of this letter, he stops and he says, I want to remind you of something. And by the way, it's no problem for me to tell you this again. Why? Because it's a safeguard for you. All of us need reminders. All of us need to be reminded of truth. And sometimes we need to be reminded so that we don't do the same thing over. Let me give you a for instance. Our family has a friend that when I, Ann and I first got married, we moved to Hagerstown, Maryland, graduated from college in 1988, moved back, and I served as a layperson youth pastor in the church there. And there was a friend in our youth group, his name was Steve. Some of you have met Steve. And Love Steve to pieces. He's one of our closest friends. And through the years, he would come out and visit us. Steve, socially, he, he's not where he should be. Mentally, he's not where he should be. He has some special needs. Yet we love him dearly. And when he was 17 or 18, he probably had the social skills of a seven or eight-year-old. And, and it really never caught up. So through the years, as we moved on to Grace Seminary, Steve would bring the, the train out and stay with us. So we, we grew to love him uh, dearly. And he was the kind of guy on his birthday would call us up and sing and sometimes sing happy birthday to himself. We just, and when you've met him, if you met him, you never forget him. He's one, he's one of those dear brothers. In fact, he's the kind of friend that we have that I, Ann and I have said on many occasions, I love to stand in his shoes at the Bema seat because he just loves Jesus unashamedly. He has his quirks. He has his sin like you and I do. But many times he would come travel with us. We would tell him things. Now, Steve, remember this. Steve, remember this. Remember this. Ann and I spent the first four years of our marriage a lot of water skiing. We owned a boat, and we skied a lot on the Potomac River. We moved to Indiana. We sold our boat. But while we were there as a youth group, um, Steve was part of that youth group. So when we came out here, we have a friend who has a lake house on Lake Webster, And this friend grew to love Steve too, he and his wife. And we would take Steve tubing and attempt to take him water skiing. And one of the things that we told Steve to remind him over and over and over again is when you fall down or when the tube turns over, let go of the rope. Let go of the rope. We had to remind him because words sink over time. You need to be reminded of that. 
Yet, sometimes we forget what someone tells us. I don't know if there's just something in a man, maybe it's the same way it is for you, but there's something about us, even when we fall, we want to be the last ones to let loose. Like, we hold on. We just, just to prove that we're still holding on. Steve was no different than the other man. But there was one time he needed to remember, let go of the rope. He and Ann were on inner tubes on the back, pulling the boat, and, and we're pulling out and I'm throttling it. I'm trying to knock him off the tube. That's what you do when someone gets on a tube. It's full throttle. And if you don't think that way, then you're a lot different than I am. But anyhow, we're driving, and, and he's on the tube. He's holding on. And he gets flipped off of the tube. And he still holds on to the rope. And so you see him bouncing back there, turning upside down, sideways. And he's about ready to die. I mean, just he's ready to drown. Meanwhile, there's also a good reason why you should let go of the rope. His shorts came completely off of him. <laughs> it's very embarrassing for my wife. She's looking at me right now. Jim, why'd you bring that story up? So Anne is on this tube and she's like this. You know, just, it's Steve, by the way, you know, and he's oblivious to it. He's holding on. He's proud that he's still bouncing out across the water, just having his way and Finally, he, he lets loose, and let loose way before that, and she's like, Jim, just, just, just keep going. And, and so I stopped the boat, and he's there, and he said, see me, hold on, see me, hold on. He's bouncing around, nothing on. Come, just, but, it, but it's jacking it. By that time, it was up to his neck, you know, pulling it just here. And, and I said, Steve, do you remember what I told you? Let go of the rope. And I said, by the way, Steve, you lost your swim trunks. And he's like, oh, I did. And so we drove back and got his swim trunks on. He put them on. We picked up Ann. It's good to remember some things. Paul today, what a memory, by the way. Paul today is saying, hold on. This is so important that I want to remind you again. What does he want to remind us of? Grab your Bibles, and I'm going to show you. Turn to Philippians chapter 3. And if you need a Bible today, hold your hand up, or ushers will put one in your hand. But turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3. What is it that he wants to remind us, and why did he want to remind this church of this truth? Philippians chapter 3, we're going to read verses 1 through 11. If you need a Bible, just put your hand in the air. Ushers, ushers will put one in. Stand with me, and we'll read this out loud together. Philippians chapter 3. Verses 1 through 11. Look what Paul says, inspired by the Holy Spirit today. Let's read this out loud together. Ready, read. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same thing to you again. It is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh, for it is we who are circumcision, we who serve God by spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who are put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church. As for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. 
for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participation in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. You may have a seat. Paul is telling us that safeguards are good. Reminders are good. These truths that you will hear today are good to remember. And he's looking at this group and he's saying, hey, I wrote this letter and I know we're only halfway through, but stop. It is, look what he says. He said, it is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. My brothers and sisters rejoice in the Lord. It's like the parent who continually speaks truth to their children saying this or that. And they're saying, why do you keep telling me that? Because you haven't gotten this one down yet. Our children need to hear it over and 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 over again. And so today he's saying, rejoice in the Lord. Five or six weeks ago, I gave you a definition of joy. And maybe today it'll speak differently to you. And here's what it was. I need to remind you again. Joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of my life. The quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right. And the determined choice to praise God in all things. Amen? It's a good truth. Joy is not an emotion. Joy is a choice that you and I make to live above our circumstances. Joy is a fruit of the spirit. I would even pull away and say this. If there's not joy hanging low on your life, then you're not walking in the spirit because the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. People often ask, how do I know if I'm doing the will of God? Well, just just go back to the fruit of the spirit. Is there love in your life? Is there joy in your life? Is there peace in your life? Is there self-control? Is there self-discipline? Is there long-suffering? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness? Are they there? Then if they're not evident in that moment in your life, guess what? You're not walking in the spirit. You're not in the center of God's will. But when those peace of the fruits are evident, then you're in the center of God's will because you're walking in the spirit. So joy is a attribute of walking in the spirit. It's a choice that we make. Another way the defining joy might be this. One of the ways to decrease stress and increase joy is to find the bless in the mess. So saying there's the mess, but listen, it might look that way on planet earth, but here's what I know. God is in complete control and there's a quiet confidence in my life that it's going to work out for good because he has it in his hands. Amen. It's a choice that we make. And so Paul is looking, he's saying, brothers, sisters, furthermore, rejoice in the Lord. And then he says, it's no trouble to write these same things to you again. You see, word must have gotten back to them that they had chosen not to walk in joy and that they had lost their joy. 
And he knew why. Because there was this other group of people in the church that he called dogs and mutilators of the flesh and evil workers and evil doers that were surfacing some false heresy that were trying to tell this church that it was by works that you are saved, that you need to check off this list to receive favor from God. Yet he wanted to remind him and them that God had not lost control of their lives. And listen, and that, that he was still interested in what was going on in their life. God has not lost control, nor has he lost interest of the mess that you might be in too. So what's that mean to us? Well, why, why should we rejoice in the Lord? It's because God has not lost interest in your marriage. And maybe it might feel like that. It's so hard. It's so difficult. God has not lost interest or turned his head concerning your business. And he has not lost interest in, 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 in watching you at that upcoming court case. He has not lost interest in your job security. He has not lost interest in that dream that you keep trying. It just doesn't seem to happen, but you're trying so hard. He has not turned his back. God is working all things out. And what he has started in you, salvation, he will complete it. So we can choose joy above the mess that we are in, is what Paul is saying. So he's saying, rejoice in the Lord even though the suffering you're walking through. And this was a man that was chained up and in prison saying this. Paul is telling them that even though it sometimes appears like you can't go another day, and even if I'm in prison and away from you, keep heart and choose joy because God is in complete control of your life, our lives, and anything that we will face. It's not like God wakes up with us every morning and bites his nails. Oh no, what am I going to do today? Like sometimes I see the franticness of people when it comes to politics. I watch and I think, do you know who our God is? Do you not know that he is the supreme God of the universe? Do you not know that the Bible says that the heart of the king is in the hand of God and our God, your God, directs him? Do you not know that we can go to bed at night regardless of what president is put into place and know that our God is in complete control? See, I don't fret over that. I don't get all bent out of shape and wonder after someone spoke this or spoke that or spoke this or spoke that. I don't find myself concerned because the last time I checked, God is still the God of the universe. And so Paul is saying we can rejoice in knowing that God is in complete control of our lives. God didn't wake up with you this morning. In fact, he never slumbers in their sleep. And he looks at that Zika virus and thinks, oh no, it's in Miami. What's going to happen if it works its way up the coast and gets to Indiana? Like God isn't biting his nail. He, from the foundation of the world, there has not been one event that you'll ever go through that you'll face that hasn't already walked through his hands before you breathe the breath. And he promises to work it out for good. See, when you know that, no suffering, no hardship, nothing causes you to bounce up and down. You can just choose joy and rejoice in the Lord. And he's looking at his groups, listen, I know what you're thinking. You're wondering, is Paul ever going to get back here? 
did Epaphroditus. He almost died trying to see him. Is Timothy ever coming back? Will it ever be the same again? It'll never be the same without Paul. He's saying, listen, God is still God. Jesus is still Jesus. The Holy Spirit is still the Holy Spirit. You're okay. Why is this a safeguard then? Why does he consider this rejoicing in the Lord to be a safeguard? Because the opposite of this word is to trip or stumble. He wants them to stand firm in the truths that need to be repeated and secure because he knows a vital truth that even though they have heard this just prior to this letter, some of them had already forgotten and he wanted to remind them to rejoice in the Lord. See, but here's the problem. We get joy and happiness mixed up. Here's what we do. We get it mixed up. You see, happiness depends on outcomes, events, and people. Joy depends on Jesus. And Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And Jesus is always there regardless of circumstances and outcome. You see, we think that we're joyful seeking joy when reality, joy is a choice. Happiness is an emotion. And so we're on this journey of trying to accomplish, trying to achieve, trying to add up, trying to keep, trying to have. And so we think, I'm not happy, I must not have joy. No, joy is there regardless if you own anything or have anything. By the way, shouldn't the church be the one place where joy and laughter should be gushing forth. Like, when you, walk, when you walk in these doors, like, this should be the place that you walk in. Faces should be like this. Like, we should have the most joy. Think about it. Like, of all the places, this isn't the mall. Like, you know, you're, this isn't the assembly line. Like, this is the church. This is where those who call themselves Christ followers or seeking Christ come. It's not, like, we shouldn't come and, and we should just have our, our heads buried in our laps every single day. Listen, last time I checked, God is still the everlasting Father. Jesus is still the King of the universe. Holy Spirit still lives in us. And Jesus is coming again to take us home. Like, thank you, thank you. Like, some of you, yeah, praise God, Hallelujah. Amen. That God is still in control. See, it's a choice to believe that. This should be the most positive place on planet Earth. Because no matter what comes our way, and no matter how many tears have been shed, Jesus is working on our behalf to work it out for good to them that love him. Another truth that I've noticed and witnessed is that people full of joy choose to laugh more than others. It's like, I've noticed that, like, sometimes I I just sit back and think, how can you praise God with that face? I'm just being very honest. Like, I watch people praise God, it's like, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. It's like, where's the joy? You know, think about this. We should be so grateful. Like, I love David after he went through that sin with Bathsheba in Psalm 51. He says, Restore unto me the joy of my salvation. 
You see, sin has a way of stealing their joy. Restore unto me the joy of my son. Like, literally, we should wake up every day, bound out of bed, run to the kitchen, open up the back door and tell the world, I'm saved, praise the Lord. Thank you for the six that believe that. Like, you have that choice. Think about it. You and I have been saved from hell. You need anything else? We are redeemed. We are sanctified. We are filled with the Spirit. Listen, God lives in us. So Paul says, I need to remind you of that today. You know what? I think you need to be reminded of that today too. Rejoice in the Lord. I want to remind you of that again. Yet, that isn't the case. Church should have joy bursting forth, gushing out of it, laughter. And the, yet, yet, just the opposite. Laughter is a God-created emotion that comes from a deep belief that it's going to work out. Plus, joy and laughter are inseparable. I love when I see people just laugh. Like, there's something about laughter. You ever, you ever have someone that laughs and they laugh from down here and you, you, just, you don't even care, if, you don't even know what they said and you're laughing with them. Like there's some people in my life that, that I, that, 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 you just, they go, <laughs> I don't even know where you're laughing at, but <laughs> yet we should be filled with kind of that kind of laughter. I love Chick Swindoll. Like he, he has, he has aged gracefully through the years and he's pushing 80, still preaching and he still laughs. He's able to walk his way through life. And, and, and a story that I, like I went to again this week, and I said, just got to repeat it because it's just too good. It's the picture of what Paul is saying here. And this is what Chuck Swindoll said. He said, people who live above their circumstances usually possess a well-developed sense of humor because in the final analysis, that's what gets them through. He said, I met such a person at a conference in Chicago several years ago. We shared a few laughs following the session at which I had spoken. Later, she wrote to thank me for adding a little joy to an otherwise ultra-serious conference. And then he says this, why are most Christian conferences ultra-serious? Her note was a delightfully creative expression of one who had learned to balance the dark side of life with the bright glow of laughter. And among other things, she wrote this. Some of you heard this, but it's worth repeating today. She said, humor has done a lot to help me in my spiritual life. How could I have reared 12 children starting at age 32? Holy cow. And not had a sense of humor. She said, after your talk last night, I was enjoying some relaxed moments with friends I met here. I told them I got married at age 31. I didn't worry about getting married. I left my future in God's hands. But I must tell you, every night I hung a pair of men's pants on my bed before I was married and knelt down beside them and prayed this prayer. Father in heaven, hear my prayer and grant me if you can. I've hung a pair of trousers here. Please fill them with a man. (laughs) That's just awesome, isn't it? However, he says, the following Sunday, I read that humorous letter to our congregation and they enjoyed it immensely like you just did and some have heard it before. 
I happen to notice the different reactions of a father and his teenage son. The dad laughed out loud, but the son seemed preoccupied. On that particular Sunday, the mother of this family had stayed home with their sick daughter. Obviously, neither father nor son mentioned the story to the mom who was home because a couple weeks later, I received a note from the mother. Dear Chuck Swindoll, I'm wondering, you know where this is going. If I should be worried about something, it has to do with our son. For the last two weeks, I've noticed that before our son turns the light out and goes to sleep at night, he hangs a woman's bikini over the foot of his bed. Should I be concerned about this? I assured her there was nothing to worry about. And I'm pleased to announce that that young man recently married, so maybe the swimsuit idea works. That is awesome. So there you go, guys. That's the secret to finding. Ladies, Walmart this afternoon. Pick out the size of the waist of the man that you want. Time to the end of your post and kneel and pray. Paul is saying this to us today, Grace Community. If you choose joy, you will not stumble and fall into the endless pursuit of seeking happiness. Joy is a choice. And because of who we are in Christ, we can choose joy no matter what suffering comes our way. Maybe that's where you're at today. You have earned your way to the top of your business thinking you could find joy there. Yet your pursuit is for happiness and it's there for a moment, but it's gone. Maybe your savings is secure and you're looking at your family and thinking, I've done a good job. I'm I'm, I'm further ahead than anybody else in my retirement and our retirement. You see, if you're finding security in that, here's what often happens. Something will wreck your world where you'll have to dip in. And if your security and happiness is in a IRA, I got news for you. There will come a day when that happiness won't be there. Joy, however, is regardless of what the bank account is. So if you're seeking happiness like some are. Maybe you're wanting more recognition and maybe you're wanting more accomplishments. Maybe you're wanting more possessions. You will never find real contentment and peace until you realize that joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all the details of your life, the quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right and the determined choice to praise God in all things. Amen. He says, I need to remind you of this. (laughs) Don't you need to be reminded of this too? That God is ultimately in control. Let me just give you a, a present day example, a today example. After the first service, I had a gentleman come up to me and he came up and he shook his hand and he introduced me. I didn't recognize him and he said, you probably don't know who I am. I said, no, I don't. I said, tell me, tell me your story. He said, my name is Chris. I said, where are you from, Chris? He says, I'm from Boise, Idaho. I said, well, what are you doing here? He said, by the way, this is my second time to Grace Community Church. I said, it is. He said, yeah, I was here one year ago at this same weekend. I said, well, what brings you back this weekend to Grace Community Church, and what are you doing here? 
He says, well, I, I work for a business in Idaho, and we come and we do business with smoker craft. He said, in this small town called New Paris, you probably don't know. I said, I know where New Paris is at. I said, I'm one of the New Parasites. I said, well, how did you get the Grace Community? He said, well, one year ago, he said, I went out to eat at B-dubs. And he said, while I was there, he said, they were playing music on the jukebox. And he said, I just got tired of hearing songs about leaving your ex and going for someone else and sex and dogs and trucks. And, And he said, so I just, he said, instead of complaining about the problem, I wanted to become a solution to the problem. So I took my money and I went over to the jukebox and I looked for a song that was, maybe there was a Christian song there. So, so I ran through it. He said, there's this country song, this country Christian song. It's like, there it is. So he, he said, I, I put my money in and I went back and sat down and I started singing to it. He said, I was with these guys I was working with and I was just singing it. He said, and the waitress came up and she was singing to it. I'm like, huh, you know that song? She said, do. And he said, I want to say, hey, I'm a Christian. And he asked her, are you a Christian? She said, I'm a Christian too. And, and, and he said, by the way, he said, he said, I am, a, I am uh, I'm in the air for this weekend. He said, I've been looking for churches. I worship in a church in Idaho. And he said, do you know a church? She, yeah, I know the church, Grace Community Church. You ought to go there. So he said, just, I, he said, so I just found the address and showed up the next morning. He said, he said, on that Sunday, let me tell you something, how God is concerned. He said, what you were saying today. He said, so I show up that Sunday, and he said, you gave a message where you had a crossbow. You remember that? Yeah, I didn't remember it until you told me. And he said, you talk about the value of family, how important it is to not lose your family in the midst of, of, of seeking out your goals and how, how you need to, if you want to raise the next generation, you need to start at home. And he said, I had just left my job. And he said, I was like, man, I went from making all this to this, and I was struggling. It's like, bam, there it was. Someone else reminded me of that truth. He says, so today I walk in. And he said, you know, you were telling this story about overachievers and I'm getting ready to tell it now and how this church was loaded with overachievers. And he said, that's me. <laughs> he said, I had to come from Idaho to Goshen, Indiana to be reminded of this truth today. You know, I just think about that for a second. I think in this big scheme of this thing we call earth and world and living God orchestrated for this man to come this weekend and he orchestrated for this message to be spoken that he needed to be spoken to about so that one man in Idaho could come to a town called Goshen, Indiana and hear a message at Grace Community Church that would remind him of something he needed to be reminded of. Listen, don't dare think that God has turned his back on you. He is working it out. And Paul is saying, because of that, you can get up and walk through this day and make it and choose joy. Because even though you don't see it, he's working out and he is going to finish what he started in you. And he said, this is a safeguard for you. This is a gift to you. Because here's what happens. We must gaze upon Jesus instead of gazing at ourselves and our circumstances. When we gaze at it and look at ourselves, we weep. But when we see God, we rejoice. 
there is this awesome God of grace who meets his children in moments of darkness and difficulty, and he's worth running to. He's worth waiting for, Paul is saying. He brings rest when it seems like there's no rest to be found. So he jumps on, and he looks at this church. He says, by the way, there are these dogs, and there are these evildoers, and there are these mutilators of the flesh. Watch out for them. In fact, he says, beware of them. Look what he says in verse two. He says, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. He looks at, he's saying, be careful of those people to say, you need to stay at it. You need to continue to work. You better get with it. He's saying this, we do not have to work harder to be found worthy in God's eyes. Ah, oh, what incredible truth that we need to be reminded of today. Paul says, but watch out. Because there's people in the church that are telling you otherwise. They're called overachievers. They're telling you that you need to check this off. You need to do this. You need to do that. Watch out for them. In fact, he says, he, he, he called them dogs. He said, he called them evildoers. He called them mutilators of the flesh. In his day, the first century, even as it is today, when you call someone a dog, it's not a compliment. And even more in Paul's day, it was very offensive to be called out in this way. Dogs were like coyote-like scavengers who lived off roadkill, filth, and garbage and were considered unclean. Jews called the Gentiles dogs because they did not believe in the one true God, Yahweh. Yet Paul is now turning the tables on this Jewish group and saying, you are the dogs, Paul says, I know. He said, I'm the Hebrew of Hebrews. I've been circumcised. I'm the Pharisee of Pharisee. I'm from the tribe of Benjamin. He says, I know. He says, I know what I used to believe. I used to be attached to this law that somehow said you need to do all these things to be accepted by God. But now I know different. And he says, watch out for those people in your church. Watch out for those who are saying you need to do, 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 that you need to work your way to God. Watch out, because some of them are overachievers. Some of them are on the wrong path. Beware of them. And he's saying, you can sleep, but sleep with one eye open. By the way, the church still has people like this. He reminds them that the truth is this. That true believers have been circumcised in their hearts through faith and they don't need a physical operation. There were people, there were these Jews that were looking at these Gentiles and saying, hey, if you really want to be a Christ follower, then you need to be circumcised. And Paul's saying, are you kidding me? You've been circumcised in your heart. By the way, Paul is a Jewish Christian. He was the number one draft pick for the Jewish team. He knew what it meant to live by the, the law. He knew what it meant by, to live by the book of Leviticus. And praise God, we don't have to live up to any law to find our way to God. Are you grateful for that? It's by grace. They claim that circumcision was necessary in order to be accepted by God. And Paul is saying, that's total heresy. Watch out for those dogs. Which led to another issue. And probably an issue that we deal with today. Overachieving Christians. 
It's that person sometimes who feels like earthly honors will automatically result in heavenly awards. It starts out as a noble desire. God, I want to serve you. God, I want to make sure. God, I want to show you. God, I want, I want to keep up. And before we know, it, it gets twisted. Like we need to do, do, do. We need to go, go, go. And we need to stand before God. Show them our list. Am I good? You know, I know what overachieving is. Like when I read that, yep, I have to be careful. And I know some other overachievers in here. And I know when I read that, like I know what the overachieving principles can lead to. It can go down a dark path. Like you just put me in anything, doesn't matter what arena, the overachiever comes and says, I'll beat you. I'll last longer. Not because I have to, to just because I want to. I'm going to get to the top and I'm going to show you. And Paul's saying, watch out, that can get twisted if you're saying that somehow overachieving proves your way to God. You and I do not need to do another thing or even sin less for God to accept us and love us more. Amen? That's what he's saying. Be very careful. And he's looking, he's looking, wait a minute. They're twisting it a little bit. At the same point, we should serve God. At the same point, save people, serve people. But make sure your motive is correct, he is saying. And then we need to remember this truth. It's not your weakness that will get in the way of God's working through you, but your delusions of strength. Strength is made perfect in our weakness. Like, I'm just being honest. Like, I look at that and think, man, that's so true, but that's so hard. And Paul's saying, watch out. Because if you get that twisted, you're going to miss out on this beautiful thing called grace. And praise God for his grace. It's by grace through faith that we're saved. You see, the church shouldn't just be a theological classroom where we give all these principles. It should be a conversion, confession, repentance, reconciliation, forgiveness, and sanctification center where flawed people place their faith in Christ Jesus and by his grace they are saved. Amen? That's what he's saying today. Paul Tripp has some great stuff to say on this. See, when Christ is your hope and my hope, He becomes the one thing in which we have confidence and we can act on his wisdom and bank on his grace and we can trust his promises and rely on his presence and we can pursue all the good things that he has promised simply because we trust him. We don't have to be manipulated or controlled or threatened to live a certain way to find our way to Christ. It's through Christ Jesus that we're saved. I mean, isn't that, when we talk about the gospel, like, I believe in the gospel. And Paul's saying, I believe in the gospel too. Yet, modern day Christians, we got people in churches that are twisting it. They're like, come to Christ, you have an abundant life. Come to him, it'll never go south again. Come to Jesus. When Jesus is with you, you'll never suffer again. Nothing. Listen, what happened to the two-thirds part of the rest of the gospel? The gospel is death, burial, and resurrection. 
The gospel says that we are sinful people. We need a redeemer to come, a perfect redeemer called Jesus. He took our sins. We're messed up. We couldn't fix ourselves. Jesus fixed us. Death, burial, and resurrection. Listen, you, we just want to talk about the resurrection, the abundant life. Sure, there's abundant life in Christ. But listen to me. You got to suffer before you die, and you got to die before you're resurrected. And Paul is saying, listen to me. There's some people in your church. Watch out for them. They come, and they're all talking about the abundant life. What about the suffering life? That's part of the gospel. Amen? So when you face that, don't look at your life and say, well, I must be doing something wrong. No, you're just sharing in. You're participating in the fellowship of his suffering. Paul's saying, listen up. This teaching will end up mutilating your flesh. You'll go and have this circumcision you don't even need to. It's by grace you're saved. It'll leave you empty and short of the gates of heaven. See, let, let me tell you. Let me, when we die one day, let me, when we stand before God, every one of us will. And he's going to ask this question. Why should I let you into my heaven? What are you going to say? Like, seriously, what are you going to say? You stand before God. And, and he says, why should I let you into my heaven? What's your answer going to be? Like, there's only one answer. You're not going to say... You know, I, I did this and I did that. Here it is. Here it is. Oh, look, look at that. Look at that. Look, woo, look at the trophies. <laughs> They're heavy. Look, look. Perfect attendance. 57,000 straight weeks. Know what he's going to say? Why should I let you in heaven? The only answer that we can give is Jesus Christ. I accepted the free gift called grace on the cross. I believed that Jesus was Lord and he saved me of my sins. And I know that to be true. And he's going to say, come on in. He said, watch out for those people in your church, those dogs, those mutilators of the flesh. Those other people are saying, Jesus plus, Jesus plus, Jesus plus, Jesus plus. Listen, Jesus plus anything to think that you get into heaven is heresy. It's Jesus only by grace. I love what Paul is saying here. We are no longer a slave to fear or works. The salvation we experience is grace. See, we do not need a physical operation to be saved when a spiritual transplant has already taken place. Paul is trying to save this dear church from themselves and the need to keep trying to earn their way to God. So he says this quickly. I mean, wrapping it up, look what he says. He says, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing knowledge of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. Some translations have rubbish. A good definition translation would be cow dung, that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, 
but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. I want to know Christ, yes, to know the power of resurrection and participation even in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. He's saying instead of trusting in your religious resume, it is crucial we trust in the person and the work of Jesus. The word no. I want to know Christ and to know his resurrection. It's the Greek word gnosko. There's two Greek words. It's important. Sometimes I go there, sometimes I don't, but this is good. There's, there's one Greek word called oida. It means an intellectual knowledge. But this is the Greek word gnosko. This means to understand and know through experience. So he says, I experienced the resurrection. I experienced the suffering. I experienced this. And because I'm experiencing, this. I know what it knows. I know to be true is this is part of the journey. And I choose to rejoice in the Lord because I get to be like Jesus. Lock me up, baby. Lock me up. You can lock me up physically, but my soul is given to the creator of the universe and I am free. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. Paul began to couch all of his trophies, achievements, accomplishments, and honors against knowing God and his gift of salvation and realized it was utter rubbish, dung. Now listen, there's nothing wrong with doing good works. But listen, if you're doing good works to get to God, works come as a result of knowing that God loves you. Like, the reason we served, save people, serve people. And we don't serve people to get saved. Our servanthood comes after because of God's grace. The cross guarantees that even in our darkest moment, God will never turn in disgust and walk away. There is no rebellion. There is no weakness, there is no foolishness, there is no evil of heart that the cross can't defeat and grace can't transform. Listen, the pit of hell can't stand against the grace of God. Amen? So Paul is saying, I need to remind you of this, church, (laughs) because some of you, you're listening to this heresy. He said, I need to remind you that Regardless of what you're facing, you can choose joy. Regardless of what you're hearing, this is what I know to be true. It's all about grace. Oh, Lord, help us today. God, help us to walk out of here understanding your truth in a fresh way. And when we experience your suffering, may we say, whoa, we know Christ now. What a gift it is. Help us to understand that that salvation and one of the, the beautiful pieces of salvation is the gift of suffering. And Lord, help us to know that we don't need to do another good deed to be accepted by you. You love us the same regardless. And Lord, for those who are overachievers and are trying to earn their way to you, God, I pray that you would convict. Help them to see it's by grace through faith. And Lord, I pray today that we would live differently this afternoon, that we would know, God, that you are working on our behalf, that that you haven't lost interest in us, even as you did for the gentleman today named Chris, that you were working behind the scenes for him. Lord, let us take our lives 
as a living testimony to you and bring glory to you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your grace. In Jesus' name, amen.